Hello all, and welcome to Current Account with Clay Lowry, the Executive Vice President here at the Institute of International Finance. The purpose of this podcast is to bring to your attention current issues in international finance and economics, as well as provide a U.S. policy and politics angle on these different issues. Clay, over to you. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Current Account. I'm your host, Clay Lowry. Today, I'll be discussing the Biden administration's recent attempt to put the focus on Asia and the White House's push to foster stronger ties with the region. Let me give a little bit of background. In May, the Biden administration did a number of things to focus on Asia. It hosted a summit among the ASEAN countries, which stands for the Association of Southeast Asian Nations at the White House. Then President Biden himself went on visits to Seoul, Korea and Tokyo, Japan for bilateral meetings with his counterparts, newly elected Korean President Yoon, and Japanese Prime Minister Kishida. He also held a summit among the Quad Nations of the United States, Japan, India, and Australia. He worked to bring together 12 countries in an economic partnership agreement, and he had his Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, give a major speech on U.S. relations with the most important country probably in the region, China. When I think about what were the objectives of this trip, in some respects it all comes down to one thing which is to remind the region that the United States remains engaged. It wants to be a leader in the region. And while, yes, it is distracted by the Russia-Ukraine situation as well as domestic issues, the pivot to Asia that we heard about during the Obama administration still remains quite relevant today. The Quad meeting, which I mentioned, which took place in Tokyo, marked the second in-person Quad summit. In attendance were the Quad leaders, President Biden, Prime Minister Kishida, plus Indian Prime Minister Modi and the very newly elected Prime Minister of Australia, Anthony Albanese. For more information on the Australian elections, by the way, check out episode 11 of Current Account. The goal of the Quad is to provide the region with public goods in a forum for discussion around regional issues and shared goals. Even though some have referred to the Quad as the Asian NATO, Its members are not bound to deliver any military assistance, and the alliance is clearly not underpinned by any type of treaty. Instead, it's basically focused on pandemic assistance. They have focused on military and intelligence cooperation where possible, and meeting some of the other needs in the region, including building up cybersecurity capacity and cyber resilience, among other things. During the summit, China was not mentioned. However, Concerns were raised regarding China's claims to maritime boundaries and islands in the East-South China Seas, and maybe more importantly, it's just a conversation around what is one of the most important countries, China. And so maybe that's the second point to make, which is, speaking of China, Biden's trip highlighted the already growing tension between the United States and China, and some suggest that the Biden administration's Indo-Pacific strategy is aimed at offsetting China's influence in the region. U.S.-China tension, which has been substantial for years and seemingly reached its heights or its depths, depending on how you look at it, rarely seen before during the Trump administration, has actually continued to set new records under the Biden administration. In a previous episode, I called the Biden team's approach the Trump team's approach, but with a smile. And what did I mean by that? Let me provide you with a few thoughts. The Biden team has continued to press to disengage from China on technology issues. 
it has softly backed the idea of an investment screen, which would mean that outward-bound investors would have to go through a screening mechanism before they could actually invest in China, which in some respects is equivalent to a supra-export control regime. This is something that Congress is debating right now, and it has not passed, but it is a new aspect of the relationship potentially. The Biden administration has also pushed forward on the potential of delisting Chinese firms from U.S. market exchanges due to tensions built up over a decade and a half on which documents are available to auditors and which are not. And maybe the most prominent area is that the Biden administration has not changed what the Trump administration put such a focus on, which was tariffs on trade. And let me expand for a minute on the topic of U.S. tariffs. Right now, the Office of the United States Trade Representative, USTR, which is responsible for international trade negotiations, is conducting a review of U.S. tariffs imposed on Chinese origin goods. This is actually a requirement that it needs to take place four years after the fact of imposing tariffs, which the Trump administration did in 2018. In May, the USTR published a Federal Register notice stating that it will begin the review of these tariffs. And during this process, they will hear from different stakeholders, collect industry comments until July 5th for tariffs that were placed on originally $34 billion worth of Chinese goods back in 2018. They're going to have to go through the same exercise on another $16 billion that were considered the second tranche of tariffs by the Trump administration. And they will have actually two more tranches later in the calendar year. There has been some discussion that the Biden administration might actually ease its tariffs on China to mitigate inflation potentially, or to better align the tariffs with U.S. strategic objectives. This is actually unclear. And part of the reason for that is because different cabinet officials within the Biden administration have expressed different views on this very subject. So only time will tell if they are able to actually undo some of these tariffs because there are political reasons why they may not want to. And by the way, there are political reasons why they may want to. As for changes between the Trump administration and the Biden administration, there are two that are most prominent. The first is on human rights issues. This administration, the Biden administration, has put a a greater emphasis. And as earlier stated, Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, recently gave a speech where he actually highlighted this problem that the United States has with the way China treats its citizens. Another key difference is that the Trump administration took an approach that was much more unilateral in how to deal with China. In other words, the United States would just deal with China one-on-one. The White House under the Biden administration has taken the view that there needs to be a more multilateral approach and that they need to create an economic partnership with China's neighbors in order to either put pressure on China or to create a competitive alternative to dealing with China. Which leads me towards the last topic of today's episode, which is the IPEF. What is the IPEF? Besides being a bad acronym, it actually stands for the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework for Prosperity. It is a new economic plan that was announced during Biden's recent Asian tour that includes 12 other countries. IPEF was created with the intention to bolster economic integration within the region through four pillars. A more connected economy, which gets towards some areas that are usually considered in trade agreements. A more resilient economic partnership, which is really trying to address problems in supply chains. An environmentally friendly 
partnership to try to address issues such as climate change and a fairer economy, which is to try to address tax competition type of issues. These pillars focus on a multitude of topics and in some respects are trying to address problems on getting to higher standards for cross-border data flow, more resilient supply chains, as I mentioned earlier, green energy commitments and projects, and implementing fair trade, not necessarily free trade, but fair trade. The alliance is also intended to counter China's power and reassure the region that the U.S. has a vital role to play in addressing key matters facing the Asia-Pacific region, such as anti-corruption issues and a green infrastructure. Though the goal of IPEF is to strengthen ties and work toward a common goal of shared prosperity, it has been met with some criticism. Maybe one of the biggest criticisms is that IPEF is not really a trade agreement, where greater market access and reducing tariffs is provided. Instead, market access trade agreements, reducing tariffs, they all seem to remain dirty words here in Washington. But these are also areas where the partners that are part of IFF want to make inroads with the United States. To me, it sounds like the IPEF is an agreement to seek a consensus, to find a way to get to a negotiation where there may be an objective. Okay, that's probably unfair. So on the other hand, maybe the creation of the IPEF demonstrates how the Biden administration is trying to find a very different approach in the region, one that is domestically politically acceptable in the United States, where we can find a non-binding economic partnership rather than traditional free trade agreements, where we can get to better standards in the digital area, where we can get to better standards in environmental area, and where we can get to better standards in labor rights issues. So let's wrap up with the three, two, one. My three takeaways. A key area of concern for the Biden administration these last few months has been the Russia-Ukraine crisis, which has taken away attention from the U.S.'s focus on Asia. President Biden is working to reverse this notion through bilateral discussions in the region and a greater focus on security and economic partnership, such as the Quad Alliance and the IPEF. Next, U.S.-China relations remain tense, and there does not appear to be an easy way to reduce those tensions between the two nations. In his recent speech, Secretary Blinken reiterated the sentiment that the White House will not lose focus on China, even among the midst of the war in Ukraine. And then finally, the IPEF agreement is still very new and has received a fair amount of criticism, as I mentioned before, including that the United States seems to be coming to the table offering very little. Only time will tell if this unique approach of bringing countries together will make headway or not. Now, the two things I'm watching out for. Will the U.S. change its tariff policy on China? I'm interested to see what will become of the USTR's review of the Trump administration's tariffs that were placed on China four years ago, and if the Biden administration will try to change some of those restrictions. Additionally, how will the IPEF agreement evolve? IPEF's partners currently hold 40% of the world's GDP. It will be interesting to see if the framework remains a series of loosey-goosey commitments or if there will be a serious attempt to move towards much more concrete objectives as the summer progresses. My one sports topic this week was actually hard to figure out. That's because there's so much going on. In Europe, Real Madrid won the Champions League, which is the European Soccer League. Here in the United States, the National Hockey League has reached the semifinals of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And the biggest golf tournament for women, the U.S. Open, 
is taking place this weekend. However, my one sports topic involves two very different sports that are reaching their finals, tennis and NBA basketball. And the topic is the fascinating aspect of rising youth versus experience. So let's start with the French Open tennis tournament. It is one of four major tennis tournaments and the only one that is played on clay courts. On the men's side, Rafael Nadal of Spain is pursuing his 14th French Open. Let me just add that no one else has even won more than eight of these things. He is 36 years old, which in tennis years is quite old, and has won the most majors with 21 of them. The only people that are really close to him are actually still playing tennis today, which is Novak Djokovic of Serbia and Roger Federer of Switzerland, who have each won 20. How Rafael Nadal is doing this, or by the way, Novak Djokovic or Roger Federer at such an advanced age is a mystery. On the women's side, it is almost the exact opposite. The finals is going to be between Coco Gauff from the United States, who is 18 years old, which is the youngest finalist in almost two decades in any major. She's going to take on a woman who has been tearing up the courts this year with a 34-game winning streak. That's Iga Swiatek from Poland, who is probably not over the hill at the ripe old age of 21 years old. She is a former winner of the French Open when she was only 19, which made her the youngest French Open tennis champion since, well, Rafael Nadal back in 2005. That is, by the way, unless Coco Gauff can get the best of her and turn out to be the youngest champion we've had in a very long time. In basketball, the Golden State Warriors will take on the Boston Celtics in a best-of-seven game series for the NBA championship. The Warriors are one of the oldest teams in the league, and combined, their players have played in over 130 championship games in their careers. The Boston Celtics, on the other hand, have one of the youngest squads to ever make a championship finals, and their combined total in championship games among all their players is exactly zero. So it is a perennial in sports. Are we seeing the changing of the guard as new talent arises? Or does experience win out and the old war horses are not just going to give up their titles and accomplishments without a huge fight? It is perennial, but it has been highlighted all the more over the next week or so. All I will be rooting for is terrific games. And that's all for today's episode. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week for another episode of Current Account with Clay Lowry. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Current Account with Clay Lowry. We'd love to hear from you, so please feel free to provide us any feedback or ideas about the show as we're always looking to improve and make these episodes fun and relevant for the audience. You can provide feedback at podcast at IIF.com. Make sure to tune in Monday for our next episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Thanks for listening.